there are lots of great podcasts out there that we don't ever do notes on mm. because they're high production value, great stories, right? And, and there's it doesn't really kind of fit. You don't need to take notes on those, right? Like this American Life is obviously a great podcast, but it's kind of hard to see how we're going to take notes on that. Mm. And so within the space of interesting conversations and interviews, I think Matt, that's that's what I have a few things that I, I totally agree on you know, over time about what kind of great podcasters do about really you can tell when the interviewees has got like a list of questions and they're like and what about this versus when someone's engaged because you know they're asking the right follow-up questions that kind of make sense because they're actually curious to find out what's going on welcome to the crazy wisdom podcasts today's guest is yoni the founder of podcast notes uh, they take notes on the best podcasts of the week and send their members a full list of the notes and the best ideas from all those podcasts. I uh, first found out about them a long time ago, um, and as I've started the podcast, they once featured one of my podcasts with Kapil Gupta, and uh, so I really started to get really interested in what they're doing, and, and I decided to reach out to them for an interview. Uh, first, I interviewed Matt Miller, which I published a few months ago. Uh, and today I interviewed Yoni, who, who's the founder who started the whole thing. And it's very interesting to get his in insights into the world of podcasting. I learned a lot about what makes a great podcaster, uh, what types of podcasts that Podcast Notes does. Um, and it's a really interesting interview. And in this interview, I was actually asking Yoni his advice about what I should do with the podcasts. And particularly, I've started a new newsletter on Substack and what I should write about uh, for my newsletter on Substack. So I actually ended up doing that. I started a, a Substack, and it'd be great if you'd go and subscribe. You can find it at stuartallsop.substack.com. Um, writing about a few different things, trying to find that niche that I really want to write about. Uh, but what we talked about in this in this interview was actually the relationship between technology and spirituality, uh, which I'm going to start digging deep into. And actually, I've already had a few interviews, which I published on Substack that are uh, exclusive for Substack, which are really interesting. Um, so I recommend you go check it out. Uh, yeah, what what relationship technology has with spirituality, and uh, I can focus on. The history, which I'm going to do at some point, but what Yoni, Yoni really suggested here was that I focus on uh, what's going on now and currently, particularly in blockchain, because there's a lot of interesting mixtures of spirituality. I mean, Bitcoin itself is almost a religion started by an anonymous founder uh, who is like a, f a religious figure to a lot of people who are in, into Bitcoin. And it, Bitcoin itself is basically you have to have faith in it in order to to invest in it. And you think about the long term, like. It's going to be a long-term payout, basically, if you believe in it. Uh, so it's really interesting. Highly recommend you check out this this interview. Yoni has a lot of wisdom to share. Uh, please let me know what you think. Check check us out on Substack, StuartAllsopSubstack.com. Uh, you can also just search for Crazy Wisdom on Substack. Uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it, and please let me know what you think. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Yoni, the founder of Podcast Notes. Um, I had a uh, a coworker of his, uh, uh, Matt, on a few weeks ago. Uh, really excited to hear all the wisdom that you've uh, immersed yourself in over the last last few years as you've been taking all the notes on the podcasts. And uh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. I uh, hope I don't hope I don't disappoint, but I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great pleasure. So, what uh, what was your favorite podcast that you um, transcribed or took notes on this week? 
Uh, so I got to say, uh, that's all Matt and, and some others that we, we begin to, to bring on as additional writers. So I have not taken any notes this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I luckily get the benefit as, as almost as more of a, a user in many ways. Sometimes I get the benefit from a lot of the heavy lifting that Matt and others are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have one, for example, that I uh, actually did notes on. Is that the secret, uh, secret uh, plan for, for you all along is to build this business with, that will take notes for you so you can just kind of like read all the best parts from the podcast? Uh, I'd like to say I was that smart, but it's certainly, it's, you know, if, if we're going to refer like, you know, Tim Ferriss and a lot of others, right, like scratch your own itch, right? It certainly began as my own itch. Mm. Um, and obviously in the beginning, it was just me. Uh, but there's definitely a benefit over time as we, as we grow that I'm able to, get sort of the benefits of that sort of the work, but you'll, you'll see, you know, I certainly found there's a difference, right? When it comes to retention, if you're just reading the notes, it's going to be a different level of sort of connection with the, with the content than if you're the one writing and synthesizing the notes while listening to the podcast, right? You, you, there's only so many corners you can cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's benefits to sort of, you know, condensing, you know, the, the key nuggets, which is really, really valuable, but just like a, a great book, you can't really get the same value from a great book if you just read the cliff notes. Yep. Um, and we'd like to think we do a really great job, but you know, we also hope that, and I find I still listen to a lot of the podcasts just because we have notes on them. I don't only rely on the notes alone. Totally. Uh, and that's, that brings up a really interesting point, which I've noticed, which is essentially that uh, there's this model that most people have in their heads that they have a particular learning style that works really well for them and that they believe that that learning style uh, precludes them learning in other ways. So, you know, some people say, oh, I'm an auditory listener and I like podcasts and I don't listen to any of it. I I don't Mm -hmm. learn well, but turns out neuroscience finds that's not true. All of us pretty much learn all throughout all the different sensory, sensory nodes. Um, So now since I've learned that, I try to, I try to get the broadest, uh, broadest array of different sensory learning, um, uh, possibilities totally so I'll you know I'm watching YouTube videos which is both visual and audio I'm reading I'm doing a lot of kinesthetic stuff where I'm where I'm learning um, uh, touch-based kind of things uh, what do you think about that yeah I, I totally agree I think it's those sorts of binary types of decisions can't almost never be true mm-hmm. right you, you certainly can learn from reading and you might certain people may naturally prefer one or another maybe because it's easier or they're a little bit naturally inclined, but to say that you're not going to get any value from a different modality is probably never really made any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I've probably come across the same studies that you're referencing about, you know, that it, it's actually kind of all of them. And I think some of them may work for different kinds of information versus others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, I, I think you're probably taking a smart approach to try kind of mix and match. Um, yeah, look, some are, some are more passive, some are more active. I think that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between reading. It's, it's actually a lot more active engaging engagement wise versus listening to a podcast mm. um, and so they're probably going to activate different different parts of the mind and, and the brain as well mm. so what was the original uh, story behind starting podcast notes sure so i'll give i'll give you two versions right so you know I, I think in the in the beginning this was in 2015 there was um you know i was, I was actually i was commuting at the time so i was spending a lot of time on trains listening to a lot of podcasts, reading a lot of books, which, which is great, but it was sort of not a, a little bit productive use of the time, but not very massively productive use of the time. Um, and so that was some context. The other context is I'd certainly 
been influenced by books from, you know, Tim Ferriss, 4-Hour Workweek, these sorts of things years prior. And that, that was sort of definitely in the back of my mind um, of sort of setting up like a minimally viable product and kind of testing out new ideas with a very kind of small investment to see where things go. Mm. And so where I was specifically listening to, and he was certainly probably like my gateway into the podcasting world is when he started his podcast, probably when I really got really interested, mm. um, just because... You know, I think we take it for granted now that you can just listen to podcasts with Mark Andreessen or these, you know, big shot venture capitalists or really interesting people like Naval, you know, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas before that, if you didn't live in Silicon Valley and almost kind of know these people, you had no access to them sort of uncut, right? You might get like see, see an article about them or interview, which is nowhere near what a podcast is. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of a, a mind-blowing change once you begin to start to see those sorts of interviews. So that's, that's sort of one thing that was just really kind of, I think, a pretty pretty awesome thing that podcasts have kind of brought to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was specifically listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with Rhonda Patrick. Um, and if you're not familiar, she's got a really interesting PhD, does a lot of deep dives into, into clinical literature and, and scientific literature, understand a lot about kind of health and, and wellness and longevity. Um, so she is sort of an encyclopedia of knowledge. And whenever she goes on sort of periodically on Joe Rogan's show, you know, he's, he's like, look, I'm going to try my best to keep up because she kind of goes real fast. She's got a, a ton of great, great ideas and advice and references. Um, and I think it was probably the second time I probably heard her go on. He's like, I hope everyone's got their notebooks ready because it's going to be another Ronda Patrick episode. And I was like, well, I could probably do that. Um, just from a number of ways, I'm pretty comfortable when it comes to more of the scientific literature type conversation. So, you know, that was like a three-hour interview, a three, four-hour interview. And so I listened to it a few times, took a number of pages of notes um, and I was like all right well let me let me kind of try this out so I quickly you know set up a, a quick WordPress site and posted the notes and I tweeted it and I tweeted it at Joe and he retweeted it which was like unexpected, unexpected and kind of unbelievable um, but that was a very effective test case I'd say for maybe there's, there's something here that's worth kind of spending my time and that's obviously sort of the exception you don't get retweets from Joe Rogan every day um, but it was kind of a, a positive test case that maybe this is something that I could kind of pursue because A, it's useful, right? Kind of scr- scratching my own itch, but B, you know, there's got to be some value here. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly how much and when, I certainly couldn't predict it even where we are now and, and sort of what I hope for the future. Um, so that's, you know, that sort of kind of came naturally. Like, I'd like to say that I've, you know, to give you the short story of, oh, I had this idea that we need to capture all this amazing, you know, information that sort of disappears into sort of, you know, it doesn't disappear, but it's, you know, old podcasts get forgotten very quickly. And all this really interesting wisdom doesn't exist anywhere else really is getting lost. We need to capture it and share it with the world and help people learn. And that's certainly what we're trying to do. But I didn't have that. I'm not that smart to have that big of a vision when it all started. Well, that's I don't certainly know. our goal now. I don't think anybody does. I think, you know, uh, every person who started, started any company, they, they uh, like a huge amount of them pivot. Very, very few of them ever actually know what they're doing in the very beginning. And that actually brings, brings to mind the, the starting this podcast too was, was, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to start it. You know, I'll figure it, figure it out. And I, I never listened to podcasts. So, so I just, but I, but I had, you know, I had an interesting network. And so, and then within three months, I got into a Twitter debate with, um, with Keith Raboy. Uh, and then that led to, <laughs> to, led to me interviewing him. And so it was just like this little sign that was like, Oh, okay. So there is something there. And that for anybody who's listening, that like, like if you're working on something and 
nothing ever happens and it's just like over and over again you're spending all your time this is what, what i talked about with keith is that there, if you're putting a bunch of inputs into something and nothing like that is happening probably means you should probably reconsider what you're doing because usually when you when you're on something that is that has something there are these little hints that that you're given along the way like for example like joe rogan kind of retweeting a tweet that's what i believe i don't i don't know what do you think yeah i, I think I think there's a certain point where you need to understand if you're, if you're really just spinning your wheels, mm. right? You need to be able to, to not fool yourself into thinking that you're grinding for the sake of grinding. Like grinding for the sake of grinding is just torture. Uh, so I would, right, you should, hopefully there should be some degree of positive feedback. And depending on what you're working on, that positive feedback or some degree of, of feedback should take more or less time. It really depends kind of what you're working on. But certainly I think in, in the world of the internet where if you're kind of generating content and, and information online, it, it's very good for providing some degree of quick feedback. Um, and so if you're not getting any of that, I think that's a fair point. You know, I'd say in between that Joe Rogan tweet and, and a lot of other things, there was, you know, the first while of podcast notes was, you know, it, it was that grind, right? Because we're at the beginning of hopefully what maybe like a hockey stick one day. In the beginning, you do find, you know, like any new blog, right? Basically what it was, you're kind of speaking to no one. Mm -hmm. And on Twitter, if you don't have any followers, you're kind of speaking to no one. And then getting to the first thousand followers can take and definitely did take a lot longer than it did to take to get from one to 10. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think there's, there's a balance and there's sort of times you need to kind of evaluate where you are. Uh, but if you don't get early wins, I wouldn't necessarily give up if it's something that you enjoy doing. And if, if you do think that there's sort of, you have a non-delusional reason to continue on. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I, Sort of agree. I think Twitter is kind of a cool superpower because it does level the playing field, right? You can directly communicate with people like Ravoy, which is like, how do you, you know, unreal in the past. If you sent him a cold email, he would have never seen it, never responded to you, right? And Twitter kind of changes a lot of interesting dynamics. It's so interesting. And I've, I've, I've become really interested in the platform and where it's going over the, as, as I've been doing this podcast, because it, it's, that's where I find most of my guests. I'm, you know, I'm, it's died down a little bit, but, but a couple of months ago I was reaching out to people with big followings and, and I would say my 70, 70% of the time they're, they're replying, they're saying yes. Um, so it's just like this, this really interesting kind of new channel to, um, having really interesting conversations and I'm just really enjoying doing it. I mean, that's how I found you guys too. That's, it was all through Twitter as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if there's only one social, we don't really have the bandwidth or, or at least right now that the interest to, to focus on, on more than one kind of social platform and, and Twitter for us is just such a good fit. Mm. Um, Cause if you do curate your feed, so to speak, and who you're talking to and reading from, you know, I think it's, it's an incredible news source and place to learn. It can actually not be toxic at all, as long as you're not following toxic issues exactly. um, and sort of current events and all that. So yeah, I think it's incredibly useful and, and probably yeah, one of the most sort of, exciting benefits of podcast notes is how we can get connected to, to podcasters like you and, and others that, you know, I never really would imagine, but, you know, especially sometimes they need to follow you first, but then you can DM them. And then it's like a kind of a very filtered messaging level. And so they're much more likely to respond if, if that's sort of how their settings are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting to get connected to, to people. I never really imagined I'd be in any way connected with. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the goal either, but it's kind of a really cool perk to, totally. to, to talk to kind of some really cool, smart people out there. So how has the, how have the things that you've learned, particularly the things that you were taking notes on when you were first starting out, how have they impacted your life? What is the main biggest thing that, that has impacted your life? What is the 
biggest thing you've learned that hasn't had a huge influence besides that Rhonda Patrick uh, interview with, uh, with uh, Joe Rogan? Um, so I think there's probably two, right? One is, and we can talk about, it, I think it influences how we build podcast notes and kind of professionally. And then there's sort of personally. Um, and I think there's probably there's like a single kind of quote for me that, that's been the most meaningful. It's easy choices, hard life, hard life, easy, hard life, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Mm. Is that right? Yep. No, I say that again. Um, it, it's like the Jersey Gregoric um, quote, which is he's like the trainer for Naval and Tim Paris. Um, it's kind of really similar to, to Jocko's sort of discipline equals freedom. Mm. Um, but it's a little bit more intu- intuitive for me to understand. Mm. But, uh, and, and to me, it applies when you, for me so broadly, especially as a parent, right? So for me, a lot of this is useful for me in a different, in, in the context of like giving me some grounding of kind of long-term wisdom that I can apply to, to trying to be a good, a good dad. Right. Mm. And so it's so easy to take the easy choice. Um, but the long-term problem, which is like, you know, just sit your kids in front of the TV or the iPhone, give them junk food and chicken nuggets, staring at your phone and not paying attention to the kids, right? There are all these different applications of make the hard choice now because it'll be good for you, but not just your life, easy life, but really kind of hopefully for your kids as well, they'll be more successful and productive and interested in, in all sorts of good things. And so I, I'd really try to apply that in, in lots of ways. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example, particularly kids, because you know, like I, I saw it with my friend who's just, you know, letting, I was hanging out with him last week and, and he's just letting his kid watch TV all the time. And it's just immediately, once he starts crying, just put the phone in front of him. And it's like in 10 years, 15 years, what is going to happen in terms of attention problems that are going to come back to bite him in the ass? Um, it's going to be pretty intense. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty terrifying sort of psychological equation when you can, you can manage it so easily with technology right now. Mm-hmm. And then look, there's always a place. And I think there's a big difference between certain TV shows or certain apps and other apps, right? Watching, I don't know if you even know, but there are these things on YouTube where kids just unbox toys and talk about them, mm-hmm. which is just awful, right? It's like, a, you know, just like an adult unboxing iPhone, but it's like the kid version. They're like super addictive and they're everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. that versus like, we watch old episodes of Bill Nye the Science Guy. If he's going to watch TV, you know, my kids are going to watch TV sometimes. I'd much rather be Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you, there, there's trade-offs and you know unless you're a parent you never really understand what it's like to be a parent mm-hmm. of someone else's kid and maybe it's just a bad day nor always understand the context but wherever you can you know to me i think that you always kind of know on, underneath deep down what is that easy choice i'm trying to take because it's simple right now and what is the harder choice that's probably the right decision usually as a parent you do know that mm-hmm. for any given situation it's just whether or not you sort of have the the wherewithal to, to do it in that moment. But, you know, having that quote in the back of my head to me has been really, really helpful. I want to take it back to something that you said uh, a few minutes ago about kind of you're based in New York City, right? Or, or New York State, right? Yeah, New York. Yeah, and yeah, so city, a little bit north. You mentioned there you were listening to these podcasts and this was probably uh, maybe how, how long ago did you start Podcast Notes? I'm 2015. So it's been quite a while. Yeah, so four years ago. And so it probably happened a little bit before then, but this essentially this, this explosion of interest within start, startups and tech. And you're in New York and you're listening to these podcasts of people and you, you mentioned a really good point, which is that essentially like all of a sudden 
these people who used to be only, you only had access to them if you were in San Francisco. And not only you only had access to them if you were in San Francisco, but you only had access to them if you were connected to the right people to um, invite you to the fireside chats. Cause that's the main place that most of these people were talking at before you get a, a private you know, event with 50 people. And then there's three or four uh, people talking at the event. And that was the main way that most of these talked. And now it's like spread into this podcast kind of thing. And I want to I want to get your take on it. What is your take on on Silicon Valley, San Francisco? What do you think goes on here? <laughs> um, look, I think it, I think it's an amazing place, and it, it's sort of a it's a hub for what it is and has been for decades now. And it, it's it's got a full ecosystem of kind of all the parts you need, and, and that's really hard to recreate. I know New York is kind of trying to do that. You know, I think the the equivalent would be biotech for Boston. Um, is there probably a lot of Kool-Aid tricking and sort of, you know, kind of amazing optimism? Yeah, but like the world needs at least at least a hub of that place, right? It doesn't need to be realistic as long as not the whole world is in it, maybe sometimes visionary or unrealistic, however you want to define it, as Silicon Valley is. But at least there's a, you know, a concentration of people that are. I think over, I think, I think it, it in some ways it will always be Silicon Valley, but I think it's also becoming distributed that, certain things are no longer needing to be in Silicon Valley, plus the whole craziness about rent and homelessness and all these things are driving people to find solutions to be more and more remote. And so I hope the Silicon Valley will keep being what it is because I think it's sort of a meaningful thing for the world, but I think it's going to struggle to not rest on its laurels and its name brand um, and, and find itself in 20 years sort of in a different place. I hope it, is, it isn't that way. It will not uh, I think New York will struggle to ever really behave the same because it's just so much of a different kind of culture in the city. And that's what I wanted to get to is that distributed nature, which is that it doesn't seem like it's going to be, I mean, Silicon Valley will always have this weight to it, but you know, just the fact that you're doing what you're doing. Um, and then it's like a feedback mechanism where it's like, not only are you doing what you're doing, but then a whole bunch of people both in Silicon Valley and outside of Silicon Valley are then taking your notes and then learning about all these different podcasts. And it's like this, it's like a worldwide hive brain that's being created, um, but it's through this content that all kind of started here. Um, I'm just kind of spitballing. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I guess the irony would be, but probably the success version is Silicon Valley is developing the technologies that will make it obsolete, hmm. right? Because all of these technologies originally podcasts are from, from Apple. And you're having all these really smart venture capitalists share their best and secrets of the world and how they make decision making and all this with the whole world because they can afford to. And there's probably a little bit of an ego based competition to who can be like the smartest, most interesting podcaster, depending on who you're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we all benefit from that. So awesome. I want people to keep competing to, to make me as smart as they can. Like, great. It's free, it's free school. It's a lot more interesting and, and, and engaging than school. Um, one thing I do want, I, I wanted to bring up because you mentioned to Matt about sort of, well, this only works as long as you speak English. And I think that was a really interesting point. And, and something that I've actually been thinking about since is, you know, I think it's actually a lot harder for you to come up with a way to turn what you and what you do in like kind of auditory podcasts into different languages. But it's actually a lot easier nowadays for me to do what podcast notes does in other languages. Mm. Right. That's really cool. I think we can pretty, there's a lot of different places that we can, you know, a lot of tools that can not do 100% perfect translation, but pretty good machine learning driven translation. 
And so that is actually something I thought about. I'm beginning to look into how we might be able to do that um, and sort of broaden the distribution of our content, at least, even if you can't understand the full podcast. Totally. I think that's a great idea. Um, and I think it, it would be a combination of machine learning with, with uh, somebody editing it who's a native speaker as well. Um, but that would certainly be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. And, and the thing I wonder about is how much the culture is, I think in Brazil, the culture is right for it. Cause I've been seeing a lot of YouTube videos of, of, um, of, of that's of the same type of content, like self-help type of content that's now in Portuguese. Um, but I wonder about, about other countries. And then somebody else I was talking to Kunal, uh, the crazy polymath, polymath on Twitter, who you guys have did notes on, on mm -hmm. that episode with him. He talked about how in, of course. in India that they're, they're starting to have other um, episodes or they're starting to translate the English type of self-help into other local languages inside of India as well. Yeah, I think I, I don't know as much about Brazil. I think certainly there, we have some traction in India mm. ourselves just because I think there's also a pretty large population that knows English. Um, so I would imagine that's true. India, I'm far from an expert on, but yeah, there's not, there's not just one language there, obviously. So you'd have to get, pretty sophisticated um, to do it right. Similarly, probably for China, at least for Brazilian, you know, for Brazil, you got Portuguese and you're done um, primarily. So yeah, I think that, I think that's interesting. And yeah, that's part of the question is like, well, if we wanted to do this, where would we start and what languages and how would we sort of make people aware of our, of our, of what we're doing in those languages, right? Cause it, you know, they're also just going to find you magically. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, it's, it's, um, it's, it'll bring me back to the, the quote that I think that guides me most um, to your earlier question on the business side is ultimately it's just the same thing, the same focus, but I think it's more interesting, which is, um, and I forget who said this, but you can have anything you want, but not everything you want, hmm. right? Yep. And so we can do lots of things, but we can't do all of them because we have resource constraints and we have only so much time in the day. Hmm. It's a good one for, for everyday life too, but that's a really helpful quote also of not getting distracted. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd like to do that, but I, we can't drop everything and stop doing what the core of what we're doing is because there's, I, I have a, a list of 30 different things that I want to do. And it's about kind of taking them off as quickly as I can without losing focus. And it depends on the level of time and capital investment to pursue any of those. How do you know which ones to pursue? At a certain point, you got to go with, you know, your gut, you don't want to overanalyze things. It's going to take more time to analyze the idea than to test it. Um, better do quick, a quick test than to, to worry too much about it mm. um so if it's if it's pretty if it's going to cost 20 bucks and an hour to test out a thing or tweet out an idea you know you can just put on and we've done it before right we'll just you know tweet out a poll see what our users think about something mm. if there's a lot of engagement interest in whatever that might be that's some good feedback right so you know definitely getting minimal quick feedback is is way better than over engineering a, a solution or a product or whatever it might be and then just like, you know, being lean startup about it, frankly, versus trying to have a, a one, a year long sort of development timeline, just like any sort of product and, and regretting it because you didn't actually ask your users first. All right. And I'd like, I'd love to go into the business if you feel comfortable talking about it. Like what is, what, what are, is your main focus right now? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is your main focus with podcast notes and where do you want to take it? Sure. Like I, I think the focus is on doing what we've done because that's what people appreciate for what we is, what we do. Right. So it's the core focus is writing really great quality notes on the best podcast that we can find and doing as much of those as we can doing more over time. 
right? So we're doing probably four or five X the number of podcasts every week than we did like did last year. Um, and I'd like to begin, continue to begin to grow that, but never with it, you know, you could, you could do this badly at scale. Um, and it would be bad. Mm. And it's not, it's, it, it's, it's a balance of curation and quality and content and quantity. And so we will grow, but we can be patient or bootstrapped. We don't on someone else's timeline and that gives us the benefit of patience. Mm. And so the focus of the company is writing great notes that, you know, help us grow our audience and are valuable to people. Then there are, you know, things on top of that. We, we certainly are increasing to try to, you know, add a, la- a layer of kind of value and thinking beyond just the note of one podcast. Mm-hmm. But that's frankly for our members only, mm-hmm. right? So there, there's member only content that we're increasingly investing in um, time and sort of thought wise to make things more interesting. So rather than just saying, well, this is one podcast. Okay, let's look across 20 podcasts, all which talked about meditation mm-hmm. or a certain kind of diet or work, you know, what has to succeed at work or startups or venture capital and write sort of a meta analysis across all of those for the past year. You know, what did we learn? What did really matter? Right. So kind of bubbling it up to another level. You know, I think that's, that's kind of a, a key value driver for us. when We're trying to increase engagement and kind of growing our kind of more direct community and membership of the site. Cause that really drives, frankly helps us do more. So the more members we can bring in, the more we can afford to do more quantity for everyone else as well. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a key driver and focus for us as well. Mm. And then I'd say like the last 10% is experimental mm. type ideas that mm. need to that are outside of the, the main focus. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, um, have you ever thought of like me as a podcaster? I have, I, I was doing my own notes for a long time. I was going through and doing transcription, but it's so much work. Um, have you guys thought about offering your services or is that a distraction? Like offering your services? So we have. So. So we have, and we've actually have done it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's an experiment. Um, you know, I, I think even if we did, we would do it on a very, again, because the curation matters, mm-hmm. right? So it would, you know, just because you're paying us doesn't mean we're willing to take notes on you. Um, and, and we'll ask the first question is, is it for free or are we paid? Because we, we can't necessarily afford to just do it for free for everyone that would be asking. Yeah. And so then this, it gets complicated about sort of what that model is, what value are we providing? Um, and I think as we grow, we provide more and more value because we're providing not just the notes, but it's also a little bit of a, especially if you're a smaller podcast. And as we grow, we provide you with a new, basically an audience, yeah. right? Because we have our mail, you know, we have our listserv, we have Twitter, anyway, we have kind of these other avenues. And so we, we can add more value. And so I think over time, um, we, we may grow to do that more. Mm. It hasn't been a, a huge focus to date. Yeah, that makes more sense. Once you have more leverage, then you can do it. Um, uh, uh, and then, so what what makes the best podcasts, in your opinion? I, I think it depends what you're talking about. And, and look, I love, you know, there are lots of great podcasts out there that we don't ever do notes on hmm. because they're high production value, great stories, right? And, and there's it doesn't really kind of fit you don't need to take notes on those, right? Like this American life is obviously a great podcast, but it's kind of hard to see how we're going to take notes on that. Mm-hmm. And so within the space of interesting conversations and interviews, I think Matt, Matt Matt's put up a few things that I, I totally agree on you know, over time about what kind of great podcasters do. About really, you can tell when the interviewees has got like a list of questions and they're like, and what about this? Versus when someone's engaged because you know they're asking the right follow-up questions that kind of make sense because they're actually curious to find out what's going on. 
Um, so curiosity, if you're not, if you're a podcast host interviewing smart and interesting people and you're not really curious, you're probably in the wrong business. Um, and hopefully you're, you're finding people you're interested in talking to. Um, certainly I think that's one thing. I mean, Joe Rogan is a unique podcaster, I think, because he's able to be engaging, but very open-minded about almost anything. He's willing to talk to people he, I'm sure he disagrees with or probably thinks are crazy sometimes. Mm. Um, and he's willing to learn about anything, even though he knows he's like, look, I don't know anything about this, but just, sorry, teach me about it. Mm. Um, and so someone that is sort of a basic learner unto themselves, you should want to learn um, if you're trying to learn, bring on people that have important and interesting things to say. Um, I, I appreciate, you know, something, certainly something you do um, that it's easy for podcasters to fall into the realm of like only interviewing people for books because those are the people that are often available for podcasts. Yep. Um, but then you just kind of become kind of part of the promotional, like a new segment of like what people do to promote books. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure how value, like I, I feel like that isn't the most useful or interesting podcast, right? Like if you're like, oh, you just wrote a book and all of a sudden you're doing podcasts, like it's fine. That'll help you sell some books. Um, and for people who don't want to read the book, they can listen to the podcast or read our notes in the podcast and they might figure out they want to read the book or don't read the book. So it's a very useful thing, but it's not necessarily the best podcast because it's basically people just trying to pull out their favorite pieces of their own book, mm-hmm. um, not just sort of thinking more broadly than that specific book. Interesting. I'm not sure I, yeah, how much I love those versus kind of just interesting people or, or good topics more broadly. Yeah. And this is, this is something, it kind of ties into a, a huge challenge I've had over the past, I mean, my whole life, but, but it is becoming quite uh, uh, um, taxing emotional at this moment because I, I've gotten a lot of advice. I just started a newsletter with Sub, Substack and I talked with them and they said, if you want to start building your newsletter, you really want to focus what you're writing on on a few core areas that you talk about. Um, but I, throughout my whole life, I've always had a difficult, difficulty fo- focusing. So it's very hard for me to like really pick a structure, stick to that structure and then do it. I like to explore all of my interests. Uh, but there, there is not a theme that connects all of these interests. So like neuroscience with, with, I mean, well, with yoga there is, but in business, I, I guess they're kind of connected, but I'm, tr- I'm having difficulty troubling, trouble finding this focus and really narrowing it down. How much do you think that's important in all the podcasts you've listened to? Have you listened to podcasts that are just totally kind of like off the wall? One, one interview is about this. The next interview is about that. So I have a few thoughts on that. My first is a question. I'm just kind of curious actually, because I, I, I think it's someone else someone from Substack was doing an interview, I think on the YC podcast last week or something. I'm just kind of curious what sort of what's your experience with them. Um, we started before that was kind of around. So I've really just been sort of doing it along the way with like MailChimp. Yes. Um, is there, any, is there anything unique that they are bringing to the table there? Uh, for me, it is the simplicity because for MailChimp, I've, I've, I've started, I started at it and I built a list, but I wasn't doing it regularly. So I can't tell you about regularly, but, but I did it enough to know that, that MailChimp is, is, is a, like a, a, you probably know the system by now. So you might've gotten, gotten past this, but, but I, I felt it overly complicated and complex for me to, I just want to write and publish it. And Substack was really good for that. And they're really building the feature for um, free it, for free subscribers and then paid subscribers and then building all the mechanisms to get more people to sign up to the paid paid part. And they're also actually doing podcasting. So 
they've, they've built podcast features as well. So I'm probably not going to move my whole podcast over to them yet, but I can start doing publishing a few episodes, maybe even premium content once I start charging for it. Uh, so I see them as basically a competitor to Patreon, but very, very focused on this email newsletter podcast kind of niche um, thing. So I, 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 I am really enjoying, it's really simple, really easy flows basically. So I really like it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sounds like another, another one would be memberful. They're a little bit more WordPress focused. Uh-huh. That I've, I've found them interesting, but they're not really built for the newsletter component of it. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. Um, back to your question. Mm-hmm. So they're right, right? That's kind of the proven thing, right? You want to pick a niche. You want to kind of build your thousand true fans, Kevin Kelly style. And then, you know, you kind of go from there. But yeah. that's maybe what you need, right? Mm-hmm. That's generally true, right? That works. Mm-hmm. Um, you have something going for you because to agree, you, I, I don't know exactly, but you already have an audience for this podcast, right? And, you know, you bounce around to some degree, but I don't think you're, I don't think that's hurting you. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the, you, you think about, you know, Tim Ferriss would probably totally disagree with this, right? He's like, look, the more specific my content is, it, he, and look, he has the benefit of already has this massive following, right? Yeah. And so within his millions of followers, there are niches. And so at least his perspective is once you have, at least maybe once you're at scale, then you can, you can bounce around all you want because he, when he says he's like, I get the most engagement when I do something about like weightlifting and body gain, like weight gain or mm-hmm. something, right? Like very niche for people to do like heavy weightlifting mm-hmm. or nootropics, right? He gets the most engagement when he tick, when he hits one of these niches, mm-hmm. but he bounces between them like crazy rather than trying to, he's like, if I try to write for my whole audience, it just becomes thought Latin generic, mm-hmm. right? So I'd agree with the subsect folks that, that like you need a niche, but I think you can have multiple ones. Mm-hmm. The question for you is, can you be somewhat maybe kind of make a plan for which niches you want to, is it niche niche? I can never really know, but you know, maybe you try to come up with what is your order and where do you want to start? Because you are the most knowledgeable. You can add the most valuable, the most value. You can be the most interesting writer. You can be in that. And then you can build a following there and then either create a separate newsletter or expand your newsletter or, and, and try to grow a second one on a different topic. And you let people opt in or out of both of them. And then you add the third and the fourth. Mm-hmm. And so I think you don't have to focus long-term, but you do need to focus short-term. Yeah. And that's, I, I, think, I think what I wanna do, I've been having two kind of themes go in my mind. And the, I think I'm gonna go with the first theme, which is essentially tracing how much spirituality has influenced uh, technology and the evolution of technology here in Silicon Valley, and then also how, what's it doing currently and what it will do in the future. Um, I think, I think that's now how broadly, how broadly do you interpret spirituality? Uh, pretty broadly. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, it's all of life, but I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is this new age thought. Cause in the 1960s, 1970s in San Francisco, there was this bloom blooming of new age thought that was partly, um, partly influenced by the publishing industry in the 1960s to 1970s. They put a bunch of money into these kind of new age thought, new age books. Plus it also coincided with the, uh, a bunch of people coming from India, coming from China, and all teaching in Tibet and teaching their stuff, specifically coming to San Francisco along along with some other urban um, areas. 
But then very closely after that, you also get the technology rise. And I, I, I believe they're very connected and very interrelated. A lot of people were in both of these, both of these realms, including Stuart, Stuart Brand and Kevin Kelly, I think. And Steve Jobs, of course, too, as well. Um, so that's... Got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I see. One, so I think, that makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. The mm. one piece I'd add that you probably are, are thinking about, and it, it comes up a lot, there's a lot of history in How to Change Your Mind, the, the Michael Pollan book about mm. psilocybin and other sort of um, hallucinogens. Um, I'm using the wrong term, but in there, he kind of makes a little, at least one chapter, he kind of makes the case that, you know, psilocybin and, and LSD to, played a role a lot also mm. in that time period. Um, and I think Stuart Brand would certainly be one of them because um, th- there's stories specifically about him and sort of the, the picture of the whole earth and, and all of that, the whole catalog. Um, so I would agree with you, but I, I would probably try to think about how that all connects with your other points as well, because it oh, sounds yes. like that was kind of a, an influential component and certainly Steve Jobs did too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Psychedelics would be, would be high up there and I, I have no problem talking about them. I, I, yeah. Um, and then there is, yeah, and, then, and then the current and the current and then the future is the blockchain. I could, this probably might where I start was blockchain and technology. <laughs> if you go to some of the parties uh, here in San Francisco, or I mean, if you go to Puerto Rico where they're all hanging out, um, the, it is, they all have sound healings there. They all have like um, body workers. Like most of the parties like have these kind of like um, uh, psych- psychological mixed with new age massage kind of things all at the parties themselves. So, and, and a lot of people look at Bitcoin as a religion as well. So it's really, I think it'd be interesting to go past. Present. That is interesting. Yeah. I, I would, I mean, just on the, on the, on the face of it, I think you'll get more traction if you're frankly, crypto is a lot, you know, like one is history uh-huh. And there are certain people that are interested in history and you might find a niche of people who really want to learn about that. Yeah. But Correct. one is new and evolving and yeah. frankly, you got like this, you know, the it factor and as much as like Bitcoin sort of, I think right around the bottom of the, the sort of trough of, of despair um, and crypto in general, after like the huge kind of craziness that happened a year or two ago, you know, it's still obviously like a big topic um, and exciting to lots and lots of people. And so if you can carve out it, you know, your own flavor of that world, which is different than just people who are like pumping a coin or, you know, Bitcoin is their religion and trying to think more broadly about it. I think that could be a pretty yep. attractive kind of subject. I think you, you are absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, there it is. All right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Figured it out. All right. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, um, what's your, or do you, do you, do you meditate? Do you, do you have a spiritual practice? Uh, I cannot say I have, I, I do. I've, I've done certainly headspace kind of on and off in the past, but I haven't been able to really stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's, I, I like, I, I, I put a tweet about this a little while ago. Like, I, I think that that is probably the, it, the right thing to do and it can get people to a certain place that is a lot that you can also get to with, with psychedelics, but psychedelics are a little bit sort of like a cheat code. Mm-hmm. Um, and meditation is sort of like the real hard, like hard choices, easy life version of, of getting there, yep. which I think is probably the, the right way to do it, but it takes time and a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been able to, to get there. Maybe one of my kids are a lot older, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's, it's hard to carve out the time. And I know that's not an excuse because if you say you don't have time, then you really need, then you need, then you need 45 minutes of it. I get it. But, um, well, not yet. but, well, um, but I mean, you, listen, you listen to the Kapil Gupta stuff, right? 
That is true. I I listened to to some of it. Matt Matt is is his big fan. I have read Atiman, mm-hmm. um, but it, Matt introduced me actually to, to Kapil. I have not. Okay. I was not actually aware of him before that. Um, but yeah, he's a really interesting guy. And yeah, I think he probably makes you feel a little bit better that like just because everyone else is doing it, right? That's not a reason reason to do it. And it's it's not. Okay. I'm not going to try to summarize kind of all that he says because I'll, I'll just get it wrong. But <laughs> everybody does. Yeah, um, I think there are different paths to getting to the top of the mountain, so to speak. Yeah. Right. I think people have different ways of doing it. Well, and what made me bring that up was would be basically you're already doing it with kids. Like having kids is a is a practice of life and spirituality. So it's like like five minutes figuring out how to deal with your kids is like way way more useful than 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 uh, 20 minutes of meditation, although they're both co, they help each other, but yeah, I don't know if that makes Got sense. it. Well, that certainly makes my ego feel better. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and yes, I think if you take the, and I think this was from his book as you know, or someone else, but we have a lot, we should stop trying to teach kids and learn from them because they're obviously far more content with life than, than we are probably as adults. Um, and seeing how they can enjoy splashing in puddles and all these simple things that we're sort of too old and jaded to appreciate. Um, even just watching them and appreciating what, what they're doing, I think is, is a really positive behavior to, to work on. Mm. Um, so I, I try my best on that. Mm. Um, I do know some other things if you're, if you're curious, kind of things that I've gotten that I, I find useful um, over the years, right? So I, I pretty much have, I don't think I'd follow it closely but i tried to at least in the beginning is kind of this slow carb diet which is like in tim ferris's book uh like the four hour body um i think that that it helps me have a general focus of things to, to focus on and to avoid um and just in, that was kind of you know which is the same thing as going like a little bit paleo a little bit low carb they're all kind of a little bit together um my wife even did keto the keto diet for a while and actually it was really great for her um, and, and she made kind of, it's really hard to maintain, obviously, but I, you know, I think she'll probably try it again in the future too. Um, but I think she got a lot of benefit from it, even just sort of like from a overall contentness perspective. Uh, other things I never really ate breakfast kind of my whole life. I just could never really have the time, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was just getting distracted and really loved dirty. I was like, well, I'll just wait till lunch, but I never, need, but I always like felt weird about that. So mm-hmm. I don't think I had this sort of the the understanding, but now that I've certainly heard so many podcasts with, with Rhonda Patrick and, and Manish Panda and all these others, it's like, okay, actually that's just intermittent fasting. And that's an awesome thing for me to do. And maybe that's why I never got obese in the first place. And it's a lot easier to stay healthy than it is to get fat and then get healthy. And so I actually think that was my sort of accidental secret to, to getting through college and, and working long hours and also and having kids and, and not kind of gaining weight along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least part of partly. So um, I, I tend to intermittent fast between basically dinner and 11:30 the next day. So it kind of gets me a pretty decent intermittent fast. And so I think that that was kind of a big one for me. Um, I have done Wim Hof breathing a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trick is, I've really done the. I've tried to do the cold shower thing. That hasn't taken. But what what I think people probably don't get to is it, you don't just do it once you have to do it like four or five rounds in a row before it gets really, really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you'll get a high from it. It's, it's really, really, for me, kind of pretty exciting. It's, 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 it's somewhat enforced meditation because if you're counting your breath and you're focusing on your breathing that long, it ends up taking for four or five rounds, it'll take you 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so 
it gets pretty intense. I'm able to, by the, you know, the fourth or fifth round, I can hold my breath for like two or three minutes, wow. which is nowhere near how much I can normally, but you basically you're hyper oxygenating your blood from what I can tell. And mm-hmm. so your body just doesn't need to breathe for longer, um, which is why you never ever do it by water. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, but I think that one's kind of been really pretty cool. I think he's a really interesting kind of crazy guy. What um, is, what is the breathing pattern for Wim Hof? It's like a huge in, inhale, right? So you, you inhale as deeply as you can, and then you exhale kind of like half, but you don't want to try to like push it all out, um, and relatively quickly. So it's like, and like kind of in the nose and out the mouth, and you do it for like 20, 30 times, then you exhale, hold your breath. I think you're supposed to hold it for like 30 seconds. I actually just try to hold it as long as I can. Then you take a giant inhale, and then you try to hold it again, and as long as you can. And then, you know, take a couple of breaths and then do it again. By the fourth or fifth time, when you take that, so you exhale, you hold your breath, and then you take a big inhale at the last step, that's where it gets really super intense on the like third, fourth, or fifth round of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has, a, he has a cool app that'll kind of walk you through it. Um, and there's all sorts of like Reddit threads about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and people probably do their own things, but it's actually a pretty interesting thing to do. Um, I think it's, you know, I feel like when I saw videos of, of monks on the top of Mount Everest kind of not freezing in the winter, like you know, when it's in snowstorm, you kind of remember those videos from like 10, 20 years ago. That's My it. guess is they're doing something like this, right? Because that's what he does you know, with, cold, with cold showers and all of this, and he's sort yeah, of no, able to make it kind of more non-automatic. But I think they're basically doing that kind of thing. I, I know for a fact they are. It's called a tumno. It's, a, it's called a breath of fire. Uh, I once saw this really crazy video yeah. of what I imagine the steps before they, what they call levitation, where this guy is practicing humno, and it actually incre- it, it, it includes visualizations as well. And there's this whole range of, of breathing practices that I was getting really heavy into about seven years ago. Uh, it's called pranayama, and one of them is slightly similar to that, but there are like, I, I, I've, I've, I'd say probably about a thousand, uh, a thousand different techniques, uh, maybe less than that. But, uh, but, wow. but like it's it's like crazy, and each time I thought I would like found them all, that I would, there would be another one. Because uh, I'll just go in a quick summary, quick. Because you can you can hold off one nostril, breathe through one nostril, close off the other one, and then you can do all sorts of variations on that theme. You know, exhaling out of one, inhaling out of the other one. You can um, exhale for twice the amount of the inhale. You can exhale for four times the amount of inhale. You can. Uh, do like saxophone breathing where you're kind of circular breathing where you're where, where which what people saxophone people do um, uh, you can go into a pool of water and you can inhale as much as you can and then only, then only exhale just a tiny bit and then inhale again and that'll keep you floating in the water so there's like there's there's so many um, which oh, is really interesting really, yeah uh, so you, not only that Wim Hof but then you get you talk to somebody like Kapil and he's like he just says like all of that is bullshit and you should all this <laughs> practice that's that's not going to get you anywhere that you you just gotta like um uh, you just gotta arrive here right now in this moment like what's going on right now um so it's it's really it's a, it. it's like an endless rabbit hole so yeah no I think that's interesting I would probably yeah I don't think these are paths to enlightenment I think that they're, they're interesting and in serve certain purposes I think that. I hadn't thought about the breathing when you just said about flowing in water, but it makes a ton of sense, right? Because if you can basically inflate your body, you're going to be easier to float. Yep. Um, just like a balloon. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. But next time, like I ever need to like 
stay above water ever. Like that seems a good way to not die. Um, so <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Saving people for since today. But that one actually uh, leads to quite a bit of like a blissful feeling, um, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And I do some others that I've heard from probably like, um, on others are just more like relaxation kind of breathing techniques when I'm having trouble falling asleep. Um, that are more like, you know, like seven, eight, four or whatever. Like they've got a different numbers for different sec, you know, seconds you do or box or kind of other ones that I have done. But, um, yeah, and it makes sense. Cause when basically said, he's like, look, I went all around the world. I saw all the gurus and he's like, it's all bullshit. I just do this breathing thing and it's awesome. And I can go like, you know, go in ice water. <laughs> so he learned these things right from, you know, he kind of came up with his own tweak of it. Um, from learning from those guys. So that, that makes perfect sense. If you ever want to go for a mental head trip, uh, you can read about this woman named Madame Blavatsky. Uh, I'll set it up really quick, which in the 1850s, there is this religion called spiritualism. And that's where we get the idea of a medium uh, where somebody can talk to spirits at all kind of, I mean, spirits, people have been believing in spirits for a really long time, but it became organized around a religion called in the 1850s. And then Madame Blavatsky was this, Russian eccentric woman who first went to Europe and then came to America and got in with these spiritualist people. And then she created her own uh, religion based off of it called Theosophy. And then Theosophy was kind of popular in America, but really, really became popular in India and actually is a huge reason for why um, what they called modern postural yoga, which is what they practice in yoga studios happened in India uh, uh, because of the philosophical things that theosophy brought it. And she said that she received most of her, uh, most of her wisdom uh, in dreams. She would go actually teleport to the Himalayas and then download this information from the, uh, from the yogis practicing. And, and it, most of it was fabricated. Um, and most of her life, <laughs> I'm sure. Was fabricated. Uh, uh, and, but she created this religion, which then became really popular in India. And if you've ever heard of Jiddu Krishnamurti, uh, who's, who Kapil Gupta talks about sometimes, um, Naval Ravikant talks a lot about Jiddu, Jiddu Krishnamurti. Krishnamurti was actually who Madame Blavatsky said, well, this is going to be our Messiah who's going to save the world. Um, and then Jiddu Krishnamurti is like, he's raised as the Messiah for this religion called Theosophy. And then at 18 years old, when he's about to take the mantle of this religion, he gets up in front of all the followers, like 10,000 people. And he's like, this is all bullshit. You can't find truth through a group. Like you guys are all, you just find your truth through yourself. This is all bullshit. I'm dissolving this whole organization. Um, and it was just like, it's, so, it's such an interesting history. But, Good for that guy. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. I would read his stuff. It's that is that, that it's, it's powerful stuff. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Cool. We've got a couple minutes left. Um, what, uh, so what is the kind of biggest, most influential piece of content that, that has changed your life or what's on your, on your mind for the past uh, couple weeks or so? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else that, that's sort of that big and, and impressive for, mm -hmm. you know, to me, it, it's really comes back to kind of hard choices, easy life and, and, and focusing on kind of you can you can have anything right I see tons of opportunity personally and professionally but I can't have everything mm -hmm. um, and I only have so much time in the day and so much kind of thought space and and to me those two are really really broadly applicable um, and, and and I you know that to me I got come back to those for a lot of different things mm, cool so how can people find you how can people find podcast notes 
Sure. So definitely follow us on podcast at podcast notes on Twitter. That's probably where we're definitely most active. Uh, podcastnotes.org is the website. You know, join, be a subscriber, get our kind of every Monday morning, you'll get the best stuff from the best podcast in the past week. If you can, definitely support us as a member. You've got all sorts of really great stuff that you can't get if you're if you're not a member. Um, and something that, that we do that's probably not as well known is if you go into iTunes or anything else and you search for Podcast Notes Playlist, you can actually get a playlist of all the notes, all the podcasts we take notes on. Um, and some of our key takeaways will be right into the, right, built right into the, the metadata. And mm-hmm. so if we take notes on someone, you know, like that podcast goes into the playlist, you kind of have like a curated playlist. Um, which, you know, sometimes you don't listen to subscribe to every Joe Rogan podcast, right? But we'll pick out the ones we think are most interesting, take notes on those, and they'll be in our playlist. And so it's kind of a a cool thing that we built um, that we need to sort of promote a little bit more because I think it's actually really useful, and I use it myself. Mm, That's so cool. You guys are doing awesome stuff. Thank you. Thanks for for having me on. Of course. Anytime. See ya. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, Please find us on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, You can find us by searching for Crazy Wisdom. You can also find us on Spotify or Stitcher, any of those. It's called Crazy Wisdom. As I mentioned in the intro, I'm also doing a newsletter where I'm going to be talking about my thoughts about the different interviews that I have. I do like four or five interviews a week, um, and I publish them about two to three weeks after um, after I do the interviews. And I usually publish every Monday and every Friday morning, so before your commute, so you can check back in then for a new episode. And I'm probably going to start doing little more episodes throughout the time of my own thoughts about what's going on. I really hope you enjoy it, and let me know what you think. If you do like it, please find us on iTunes and give us a a, a rating. Um, Thanks. Bye.